The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. One day in the books. Am I starting to feel a little bit better? No. But damn it, if one thing might be able to pull me out of this cold-ridden funk, it's the magic of our first big Wednesday. Damn right. Pretty fired up about it. The World Series is also happening right now. I don't know if any of you guys care about that. I do. It's a lot of things that I want to have on my television at the same time, and it's uh, difficult when I'm often holed up in my office slash bedroom trying to get it all done. Anyway, uh, welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, everybody. I'm Dan Bespris, still uh, fighting through this thing, doing my best throat lozenges and all to try to get not clear my throat on the podcast, but also try to get through this thing and get you guys the information you so desperately deserve. Yesterday was awesome. We got our first games in the book. I would have loved to have seen my Lakers win, but I'm not that surprised that they lost. I thought they'd play harder, honestly. Uh, Danny Green looked like he was playing pretty hard. LeBron actually looked like he was playing pretty hard to me, and maybe I'm crazy, but he had a really inefficient day and a lot of turnovers, which you can expect because he's a pass-first guy, and he's going to be looking for his dudes, and the Clippers are not a bad team. Uh, he's trying to figure out where everybody's going to be. You know, where's Avery Bradley going to be standing? And is where's Danny Green going to be? Well, they found him. He did fine. Uh, you know, how does Dwight Howard roll to the basket? How does JaVale McGee roll to the basket? Jared Dudley, Troy Daniels, KCP, who was truly horrendous. That stuff didn't surprise me. But anyway, we're going to get into this in a moment. I uh, just wanted to give you guys a quick rundown of what we're going to be talking about on today's podcast. This is, of course, your Wednesday edition of Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation Brought to you by our good buddies at Hawaiian Isles Kona Coffee Company as well. HawaiianIsles.com is the website. Hoop-Ball.com is our benevolent overlord site. At Hoopball Fantasy. And again, I am at Dan Bespris. D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S on Twitter. Or just search for Dan from Hoopball. Wanted to give you guys a quick rundown on what's going on on today's show. Uh, we're obviously going to cover what happened on last night's two initial games. It was not a massive card, but it did sort of ease us into the NBA season with an overtime game and an L.A. thriller, and now we get the full uh, sledgehammer of games tonight, 11-game Wednesday, and this is the day that basically wipes out all of our futures wagers. Uh, you can't, you generally can't place them anymore after game one, uh, and it's also going to be the day that we get a lot of data for our fantasy teams, because I don't think that a ton of moves were made after night one. Um... You know, some people that the foolhardy who drafted Dwight Howard probably sent him packing. Um, what else might have happened after day one? Uh, Mo Harkless, Josh Hart, Nico Melli. I mean, there were a few things that may have taken place in your leagues, but for the most part, these are not these are not game changing status adjustments. What I mean by that is the guys that we saw. And again, we'll break it down game by game. Don't worry, we're going to go through the two games from last night. But just on a broad overview look, the games from Tuesday night, we didn't have things happen in those games that are going to drastically alter uh, your fantasy team from the pickup drop standpoint. We had some interesting sort of small sample size stuff. 
And, you know, the pickups in particular are these, you know, you're praying for top 100 type dudes. We're also going to be previewing all 11 games on the card tonight. We'll talk a little bit about uh, some of the betting stuff that we've got floating around, which, again, at the beginning of the year, largely on teams that have a measure of consistency. But I, I think this is our first opportunity to really go into a card and have an idea of what we're looking for, right? So last night we were able to to really turn a microscope on two games, and we learned a few things. And tonight we're going to learn a truckload, and I wouldn't be surprised if we used some of our moves leading into uh, or following tonight's basketball action. The Game Time Premium subscription is for sale at hoop-ball.com. Go to hoop-ball.com and click on the premium tab across the top nav bar and choose buy game time premium. That'll get you access to all the sweet, delicious goodies that are game time premium 2019-2020 season. It's the full season premium membership at hoop-ball.com. It includes six live shows every week where you can post questions for the pros. They will answer them specific to your team. It doesn't have to be a broad topic. It can be, I got this two-for-two trade offer on my table. What should I do? Here's my team. They will answer that for you. Uh, You also get the Waiver Wire show on Sundays with Ethan Noroff and Eric Ong, the weekly lineup show with myself and Aaron Bruski and Brandon Marcus, pickups of the night article, the layup line article, which is pregame strategies. It's got betting, DFS, and other uh, beyond-the-obvious items, weekly reports, interactive scheduling grids, uh, streaming charts. If you're into streaming in the middle of the season, start, sit, tools, rankings, projections, dynasty info, and depth charts. It's the way to make sure your team wins now that you have your good draft under your belt. So again, go to hoop-ball.com, click on the premium tab, and use our coupon code from yesterday's podcast. That was just the word DOC, D-O-C. Get yourself three and a half bucks off any of the items, but right now, obviously, Game Time Premium is the big one. Yesterday, yesterday, two games, Raptors and Pelicans, 130 to 122, the overtime final. We ended up very lucky winning our Raptors minus six and a half, minus seven wager. Somehow that was a, uh, well, lucky break. We'll we'll take that one and run with it. Um, But from a fantasy standpoint, there were a few things that, if you recall from yesterday's podcast, we were sort of watching for in this game. Number one, the minutes. And then number two was the production in those minutes. That, to me, is less important. So we're going to actually start with number two and work our way up to the most important thing. Production in this game on the New Orleans side was largely Brandon Ingram, who uh, had the second highest usage on the team behind behind, uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who only played 12 minutes, and we tried to warn you guys, a lot of this stuff was preseason fluff. These guys are not going to play a ton. It's the regular season now. Um, Josh Hart actually had quite a bit of production in 28 minutes off the bench, and then he was down the charts a little bit because of his three turnovers, but J.J. Redick actually thought had reasonable production in this game as well, and that was kind of it. Nicolo Melli played 19 and a half minutes, had some production... Drew Holiday had a little bit of production in a very slow ball game. On the Toronto side, you had a ton from Freddie Van Fleet, Pascal Siakam, and Kyle Lowry, and then little snippets from OG Ananobi, Serge Ibaka, and that's really it. And then how do we kind of reconcile that with the opportunity that was presented in this basketball game? 
And this, I think, is where you can sort of put two pieces together and come to a conclusion. Otherwise, you're you're grasping at numbers or you're grasping at minutes. And I think there's the combination therein is where you get your best information. Now, again, I believe the minutes is the most important factor. If someone doesn't have the opportunity, they have to have an insane per 36 to make that thing work. There's just too much volatility in a guy that's not seeing 20 minutes a game. You know, this is why we always talk about Rashawn Holmes. He's being so close because he can do so much, and all we need is like two more minutes. Those guys aren't really in this particular basketball game. The closest guy on either team, I think, is probably Derek Favors because he's done it in whatever it is, 24, 20, 25 minutes in the past. Brandon Ingram played 35 minutes. Drew Holiday played 41. No one else on New Orleans in an overtime game cleared 28 minutes. Without overtime, a lot of these guys would have been closer to 23. Josh Hart would have been at 23 instead of 28. Ingram, 30. Drew, 36. I mean, we are not talking about nearly enough minutes. And this is one of the fears coming into the season. This, by the way, is without Zion. You plug his high 20s to low 30s in there, and the minutes really dry up fast. Although a lot of those are probably guys like Kenny Hustle, Nicola Melli, maybe even each one more, depending on how they play. So here's what I'm looking at from this New Orleans side. Uh, Brandon Ingram looks like he's going to play plenty. I don't know if he's going to be this efficient most games, but he's going to play. If he somehow makes his free throws this year, that changes things considerably. And, you know, you're not getting a steal and two blocks out of him every night. That's just sort of not his way. Josh Hart at 28 minutes. No, I'm not racing out to pick him up. But, yeah, I am putting him on my watch list. How do I make that determination in the moment? Well, for one, he came off the bench. So if he didn't play well, might this have only been a 17, 18-minute game without overtime? Obviously, 23, that's not enough. So he's on my watch list, and somehow he pushes his way into 25 to 30 minutes a night, but I don't think it's happening. Nicola Melli, no, 19 and a half minutes. Kendrick Williams, no, 18 minutes is not enough. Now let's talk about the guys that actually started this ballgame. Lonzo Ball, J.J. Redick, Derek Favors, Drew Holiday. Obviously, Drew's going to be fine. I think you might see a couple of owners going, ah, God, I spent a second-round pick on this? Yeah, he's going to be great. He's going to have a great season. He'll be fine. I don't know that he's going to be this first-round guy that some places are trying to feed that. I mean, he's never really been that guy. And yes, Anthony Davis is gone, but there's like 19 other dudes on his team now. The guys that I think are more interesting here are Alonzo Ball, J.J. Redick, and Derek Favors. Number one, from a volume standpoint, we probably need to see more shots for a J.J. Redick. He's too good of a shooter to only get nine looks in an overtime game. He made six of them, Four of those were three-pointers. I mean, he's going to have his opportunity, and he's got to, I think he's got to be a little bit more aggressive, and maybe this is just the old man letting the young guys have their fun in the early going. I hope we see him take more shots. This was a perfectly fine first game for him. He was very much the, okay, this is sort of what we were expecting kind of day. Lonzo Ball, eight points, five boards, five assists. Still can't finish near the rim, but he did make a couple of three-pointers. The lack of defensive stats is not great, but I think that will probably change. We know he gets those. He rebounds, he assists. Uh, 
I mean, we saw him going in like the 60s and 70s, which is a bit early for my taste, but I do think he's going to be a top 100 guy this year, so we should be all right. But the 25 minutes is disconcerting. This is a competitive ball game. You know, this is not, this wasn't foul trouble for most of these guys. This was competitive. Derek Favors is probably the guy we can pause on the longest because remember when draft season opened, he was going in the 40s and he just kept tumbling and tumbling and tumbling. He didn't play in the preseason almost at all. And he started getting drafted in the 60s and the 70s. And I actually took him in one league in the 80s because I just thought, I mean, how does he not? How does he not beat an ADP of 85, or not an average draft? But how does he not beat a DP, an average, a, a real draft position of 85? This is basically how. Six points, seven boards, two assists, a block, three out of six shooting. Funny thing is, if he averaged this for an entire season, he wouldn't be that far outside the top 100 because the field goal percent, a block, and the rebounds will do it itself. This is like a Pat Beverly line without a three-pointer. He only played 21 minutes, but you kind of have to know how he got there. He played almost 14 in the first half, hit his fifth foul in the second half, and never got back into the ballgame. That was just it. He didn't play down the stretch. He didn't play in overtime. I don't think that that's always going to be the case. They opted to go small. He got pushed off the floor. I think that you'll see plenty of games where he gets up closer to 24. The, the initial hope with him people were saying oh he's going to play you know 28 30 minutes a game his body can't handle that so we always went into this year hoping for 25 this is four and a half minutes under that he picked up some fouls but otherwise this was actually not that bad of a game what if he had made one more shot what if he had made two more shots what if this was 10 and 7 with two assists and a block on good percentages what if he went uh say five for eight from the field instead of three for six. We'd be talking about him like it was a success. What if he had one more block and one more rebound? What if it was six, eight, two, and two? I think we'd be talking about it as a success. We were basically that close against a team that now is sort of firing away. A lot of the misses for Toronto, by the way, were on three-pointers, so those rebounds kind of kicked out a little bit. You saw, again, Josh Hart with 10 rebounds in this game. Derek Favors is in there, and he's one of the few decent rebounders in the front court with Zion out. I am a little bit worried. I'll admit, I'm worried that he might just not play once Zion's there. I just, I think they're going to give him an opportunity. So, no, I'm not dumping Derek Favors right now. Meanwhile, over on the Toronto side, this was a much easier box score to analyze. Freddie Van Fleet had 34 points in 44 minutes. This is... I don't want to call this the high watermark because he might do this again at some point. But it's probably not going to be every night. He's probably not shooting 12 of 18 every night. He's probably not scoring 34 points on five threes with seven assists and two steals every night. If you drafted him, you're sitting on a sell high. And I get it. People are going to be like, how can I sell high after a game like this? Because, well, this is just not what he's going to average. We don't really know what his average is going to be. He's going to be a useful fantasy player this year, but it's not going to be this. This this was a first-round night. What you do if you're really a wheeler and a dealer is you watch the games tonight, and we'll talk about those in a minute. You try to find someone on the list playing tonight that let's say you're pretty confident is going to sit right around top 50. 
and you hope that they have a little bit of a slow game, and you lob Freddie Van Fleet out for that guy. Because Van Fleet's probably going to be more in the 65-70 to 70 range when all things settle. He doesn't usually do much defensively. His percentage usually does hurt you a lot more than last night. Mostly, he's points, a little bit of assists, and a couple of threes, and then he did a whole bunch of other stuff in yesterday's ballgame. And it went to overtime. It's hard for me to say this because he had such a massive game, but yeah, that those are the incremental moves that you make to try to better your team. Take a top 70 guy who had a big game, turn him into a top 50 guy with a bad ball game, and it'll level off for you in the long run. Do it again a whole bunch of times, and you're, you're flipping assets, and you're kicking ass. Pascal Siakam fouled out with 34-18. and 18. He had a monster of a first ball game. He's going to do a lot offensively for this team because they're just not very deep. Kyle Lowry played 45 minutes. That's not great for him long term, but he did have 22-5-6 inefficient shooting game with two steals and three three-pointers. You know, old man Lowry just rolling along. OG Ananobi at 11-7 with two blocks. I mean, this is like, we're looking at this line, we're going, this looks pretty good. This is basically what Derek Favors would have had if he made one more shot. So, it, you know, it's a difference one and the other. The one other big difference is that Ananobi played 36 minutes in this game. That's a really interesting development. Is he going to play 36 minutes every single night? Mm, I don't know. But it made sense against the Pelicans team going small and overtime. Norman Powell played 28 minutes, so the opportunity was there, but I don't like his fantasy game, and I've said that a bunch of times. Serge Ibaka and Marcus Gasol, I think, are the interesting ones, uh, in addition to Ananobi, who should probably be rostered in your league, and he is in most Yahoo formats. Ibaka and Marcus Gasol, I think people are going to be a little bit irritated, particularly Gasol, because he went for 6-4 and four with only one assist, a three-pointer on two out of nine shooting. He just looked slow and old in this ballgame, but he did play 32 minutes. So you're not dropping a guy who played 32 minutes and has the pedigree there, and you're definitely drop, not dropping Serge Ibaka because on most days... He's going to get you 13-ish points. He's going to get you five or six rebounds. And he's usually going to get you a block in addition to his steal. And he's usually going to do it on decent percentages. So, no, you're not abandoning ship on that one either. No, he didn't have a particularly good ball game with the three turnovers as well. But he's going to be fine. And he didn't even start this one. So when they have to go big, he'll probably see even larger roll. That'll hurt Ananobi, by the way. He's the man who takes the hit on that one because Siakam slides down. And then we'll get an idea of how Toronto looks when they're playing a smaller team or a larger team. I spent more time on this ball game than I will on the second one because, frankly, I didn't think the second one was all that interesting from a fantasy perspective. But we're going to break it down anyway. Danny Green had his big one, so you know what that means. That means the clunker is coming. Danny Green, you look at the end of the month. That's it. Don't watch the game to game. Don't try to figure out which nights he's going to pop off for a huge one. Just enjoy the big ones when they come. Be okay with the fact that the clunkers are going to be mixed in there. And at the end of it all, he's going to be a top 90 guy. He always is. And if he's durable on by totals, he'll go higher than that. You guys know I love Danny Green. I've always loved Danny Green. But we also know who he is. And he's not a guy who's going to score 28 points every night. LeBron and Anthony Davis both had down games. They were fine, but inefficient. Anthony Davis missed a bunch of free throws that maybe could have changed things a little bit. At the end of the day, Lakers just kind of got outworked in this one. LeBron was trying to get his guys involved. He had a bunch of turnovers, a little bit pretty sloppy game. Uh, Clipper side, Kawhi Leonard was just outstanding. Lou Williams was awesome as well. 
And when they're all making their shots, I mean, probably not going to beat the Clippers when they're shooting 52%. Easy as that, right? I mean, Lakers shot 43.5%. They'll be better than that most games. Clippers shot 52%. They'll probably be a little worse than that most games. It was a fun one, though. Good ball game until the end. On the Lakers side, obviously, Danny Green should be owned. LeBron AD should be owned. Uh, Dwight Howard is way over-owned, given his free-throw limitations. JaVale McGee, I think, will be fine. A lot of people, I think, are going to be panicking after this one, but you heard me talk on the podcast. I only thought he was getting 20 minutes a game this year. If that. We, we mentioned, especially when they brought in Dwight Howard. There's 48 center minutes. Anthony Davis, you have to assume, is going to play some five or six of those. As much as they want to keep him out of that spot, he's going to play a few. So you're talking about probably 40 center minutes for Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee to split. And split they will. There isn't anybody else to play that spot besides those three guys, but sort of an upper limit for McGee this year was probably 22, and that also means that you're probably not getting your upper limit. In general, I think he's going to be better than this. They're figuring out how to play with one another. They're, they're figuring out how to have McGee and AD on the floor at the same time. Same deal for Dwight and AD because those two guys don't spread the floor the way that Boogie Cousins could have. Boy, the Lakers could have used him in this ballgame. But I think JaVale will be better than this most game. I mean, he, you know, he took three shots in 17 minutes. That's low. He blocked his two shots. He only got two rebounds. Lakers, from a rebounding perspective, probably needed to do better. They got out-rebounded by a much smaller team that just showed more heart on the glass. And so I think you, you see that improve. JaVale was the starter. He's going to be in there for putbacks, layups, dunks, and block shots, and that's all you drafted him for. You're hoping a guy that could get you... 1.8 block shots a game and probably like 6-6. Six and six. He's a late-round center for block shot upside. And then the rest of the Lakers were horrible. Except for Jared Dudley. I liked his game in his 13 minutes. Avery Bradley was fine enough, but not good enough to own. Troy Daniels didn't do anything. KCP was terrible. Uh, Quinn Cook was not good either. He missed a bunch of open looks in this ballgame. They just didn't play very well. But again, you're talking about LeBron, AD, Danny Green, and then probably JaVale are the guys that should be on a fantasy team. Clippers at least had one interesting story in this, and that was Mo Harkless, who's been a Bespers favorite for a long time, but also is a huge injury issue. You guys may remember Harkless Watch 2019 last year. We just kept watching him with Portland thinking, good Lord, if they would just play this guy 28 minutes a night, but he wasn't playing back-to-backs. He would suddenly disappear for a week with a knee issue, and I have to think that that's not going away. He did, however, have a hell of a ball game. 10 points, 4 boards, 4 steals, 2 blocks, 2 three-pointers on 4 out of 7 shooting. He was everywhere, and he was incredibly efficient. I'm not racing out to pick him up and start him because I watched almost all of this game, and I can tell you Kawhi, Lou Williams, Pat Beverly... Montrez Harrell are the obvious starts right now. I mean, Pat Bev did exactly what he did. If you wanted him to score, it wasn't going to happen. Uh, and Montrez is still a bad foul shooter. Lou and Kawhi, they did their usual stuff. Obviously, this was a much better efficiency game for Lou Williams. He also rebounded more than you probably expect on a given night. So this is, I don't want to call it the high water mark, but it's an upper game for him. And then if Paul George is back, it'll be lower. Lou Williams, by the way, as sixth man of the year is insane. He's playing 36 minutes. He played the second most minutes on the team off the bench, but whatever. That's a discussion for a different day. Here's the issue with Mo Harkless. He was basically playing power forward for this team for most of his time on the court. 
some small forward, which meant that his 29 minutes came in a weird blend with Patrick Patterson and Jamichael Green, who also were playing center and power forward, alongside Montrez Harrell and Evitza Zubats. The minute breakdown could get pretty goofy. Because if Beverly and Lou Williams are on the floor, then that means anybody that's near them is a forward. And if Landry Shamit is out there, then that pushes someone up to a forward spot as well. Yes, Harkless got 29 minutes in this game, and yes, he used them brilliantly, but no, I don't know that he's going to be the guy every time. He was playing exceedingly well, so he got additional playing time. I think there are going to be plenty of games where Jermichael Green chews up an extra five or six minutes, and Harkless is the one who loses those minutes. I am totally fine with you sticking him on the end of your bench if you have somebody that has no upside or just was a guy you picked at the end of your draft and thought, meh, whatever. Uh, but don't expect this every night. 10, 4, 4, 2, and 2. Don't expect that every night. But feel free to throw him on your bench and see if he can do it again. I'm probably not starting him, by the way. If I pick him up, I'm probably not starting him. If I pick him up, I'm likely leaving him on my bench to see if this is something that actually continues for more than a night. The magic of a small sample size. I do love his game, though. God, I wanted him to do this last year so badly. I just kept itching for reasons to pick him up. And now this year, I'm going to be the guy who says, well, I'll let him hang out for a game or two, and he's, he'll be great for three weeks. <laughs> okay. Next thing on the docket. Uh, recruiting season continues. And those of you that keep reaching out, you're awesome. Keep hitting me up, at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S on Twitter. If you want to get involved with us over here at HoopBall, if you want to learn how to write, well, I shouldn't phrase it like that. You need to know how to write. If you want to learn how to write for sports, hit me up. If you want to cover a team, hit me up, because we have team coverage here at HoopBall now. Bug me, at Dan Bespris. I'll let you know if it's going to work or not. This is not a dabble. This is an if you want to get involved and do something special, help us grow this thing. We're bigger now than we were two years ago, but we're still on the growing side of the ledger. So hit us up at Dan Bespris or at Hoopball Fantasy. Or if you don't have social media, shoot something over in the Hoopball forums. You can sign up for a free account. It won't cost you anything, and then you can post a thread. I'll get at you over there. So podcasting too, by the way. Team podcasting, fantasy podcasting, whatever. Bug me. Let's make this thing work. If you're willing to put in the time, so are we. Tonight, Big Wednesday, it is here, 11 games, and we have things that we want to watch for, and we got to get serious about it here, because it's opening night for all of these teams, so let's just go through them. I'm not going to break down the betting stuff on every single game like we do once we hit the middle of the season, uh, but I will throw a couple of ideas out there at the end. Chicago, Charlotte. Chicago, I want to know how the minutes are breaking down. Is my guy Thad actually going to get in the ballgame for enough to be relevant? Is Wendell Carter Jr. going to be healthy at all this year? I hope so. I think Zach Levine's going to be pretty good. I think we're going to see a nice game out of Tomas Sadoransky, but don't be blown away if he doesn't put up big numbers. He's a low-usage guy who's going to find his stuff kind of in between the other dudes on this team. And I think Otto Porter's going to have a pretty good game. Charlotte is the bigger question mark on this one. With Chicago, you kind of have it narrowed down to like six guys you're really keeping an eye on. With Charlotte, 
Terry Rozier is going to play a lot and do a lot of weird stuff. But beyond that, who the hell knows? So I think you really ought to watch this game right from the start. Watch it. Who's playing? Who's doing stuff? Charlotte, for as awful a team as they're going to be, they could be a fantasy goldmine. So this one's definitely on my watch list. Cleveland-Orlando is less on my watch list because I don't know that the Cavs are going to have anybody besides Kevin Love who's fantasy relevant in a 12-team league. Colin Sexton, his game is not that great. Darius Garland, we don't really know a whole lot about his game yet. Chetty Osman needs to work on consistency. Is Tristan Thompson the center on this team, or is it Larry Nance? Nance is your next guy, by the way, on the list. But then, I mean, that's... I don't know with the Cavs. They're not a great fantasy outlook. And then Orlando, you have a pretty good idea because they're mostly the same they were last year. Only question guy I think you're watching there is probably Markel Fultz. So this is not on my watch list. This is one I think if you had to, you can pick to look at the box score. Check it, obviously, frequently. But to me, the storylines are less relevant to where you need to be watching it the minute it happens. Detroit at Indiana, no Blake Griffin for a couple of weeks so, uh, who Detroit is going to rely on is anybody's guess. I know Christian Wood's going to be playing more, but I don't think he's going to be this, the, the scoring threat. They're going to want him to do a whole bunch of hustle stuff. Is Derrick Rose going to play enough to be relevant? I mean, with Blake Griffin out, they probably need him to score. You might actually see a couple weeks of Derrick Rose going nuts here, and then obviously Andre Drummond's going to be a big deal. Indiana, how do the minutes break out? I don't know that we have to watch this game either in terms of the what do we call, uh, call it the homework on our show last year because Malcolm Brogdon's going to be good Jeremy Lamb TJ Warren Miles Turner Demonis Sabonis I feel like those five guys are your your shoe-ins here until Oladipo comes back maybe there will be some stuff around the edges but I wouldn't bank on it Memphis Miami this is probably the next one on my watch list because I really want to know I know Jonas Valanciunas is on a slight minutes limit here as he works his way back from this sore foot but how does Jaron Jackson Jr. look? What does Brandon Clark do? How does the guards situation shake out? You know, what is Ja going to look like in his first official NBA game? There's stuff to learn on the Memphis side, and there's definitely stuff to learn on the Miami side. How do they coexist with Jimmy Butler, and who the hell else is even going to play? We know Bam Adebayo is going to play a bunch. Is Goran Dragic healthy enough to play 30 minutes a game? Is Kelly Olynyk going to play a lot of power forward? Because James Johnson is fat, out of shape, and basically benched right now. Uh, so there could be something interesting in Miami. This is a team where I'd be ready to make a move pretty fast. Boston-Philadelphia. I don't know that there's any pick-up-and-drop guys that are kind of right on the, the cusp with these dudes. Uh, Matisse Tybul is the one that everybody's talking about on the Philly side. I'm not a full believer yet. You could talk me into it, I guess, and he's worth a spot at the end of your bench just to see if he's going to do enough now that the regular season hits, but there are going to be a lot of starter minutes on that team. Same deal with Boston. Boston, uh, the center position is the one that I think is the, the big question mark. How does the Ennis Cantor, Daniel Tice, Robert Williams thing shake itself out? This is the game you probably want to watch if you just want to watch a good basketball game, but from a fantasy standpoint, it's probably less important minnesota brooklyn um yeah i'm not gonna put this on your homework list uh we i think we have a pretty good idea of who's gonna play for both of these teams the question is how much they're gonna do and you can garner a lot of that from uh watching the boxes now you know minnesota rob covington is he gonna play a full allotment of minutes i guess is the question there 
So does that create kind of an opening for someone like a Jared Culver? Maybe, but again, we have a pretty good idea. Washington-Dallas, this one's going on the watch list. Absolutely. I want to know what's happening with the Wiz. Besides that, no one beats them. That's a, that's a Seinfeld reference. Uh, Dallas side, interested, obviously, in Delon Wright, who had a slow preseason. I think he's going to be much better in this one. No Dwight Powell, so that creates a little bit of an opening here for a Maxi Kleba. How does that shake out when Powell comes back? So I'm a little bit less interested in the Dallas front court while they do have a guy out as I am the Washington side because we have a good idea that Thomas Bryant's going to play a decent number of minutes. Obviously, Bradley Beal is. And then, you tell me. Isaiah Thomas, not likely playing in this ball game, but there should be some opportunity there once he's healthy because there's just nobody. Rui Hachimura probably starting the last we heard. This is an interesting one to me. No Mitchell Robinson for the Knicks in San Antonio in their opener. That's a pisser. But they still have 95 power forwards and centers left on the roster, so we'll see how that shakes out. I would say watch this game, but I also don't think you really want to watch this game. Uh, I think you can get enough from the box score. I'm curious on the Spurs side how much a guy like Rudy Gay is going to play this year. Uh, Derek White and DeJounte Murray, can they coexist? That would be a reason maybe to check in on this ball game. Oklahoma City at Utah. I think we have a pretty good idea who's playing for these two teams, but I do kind of want to watch them. I think OKC is going to be better than people realize this year, at least in, unless they blow it up. But how many more picks could they possibly need? Chris Paul is going to be good. Shea's going to be good. Schroeder's going to have to do some stuff. Gallo's going to do stuff. Steven Adams is going to do stuff. And then Utah, very much behind the starting five, but the starting five is pretty freaking good. Sacramento, Phoenix. Uh, how much is Rashawn Holmes going to play? You know, he's a hoop ball guy all the time. Darren Fox, Buddy Heald, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Marvin Bagley. What's Dwayne Dedman going to do? Pretty interested to see how many minutes he gets. Phoenix side. Uh, Ricky Rubio, obviously the new point guard there. How much is he going to be asked to do alongside Devin Booker? Try to get the ball out of his hands a little bit. Michael Bridges, Dario Saric, Kelly Oubre, and DeAndre Ayton. There could legitimately be six guys on Phoenix with fantasy value this year. And then Denver-Portland, that should be a fun one. A lot of consistency with these two teams. Obviously, Hassan Whiteside is in for the Blazers. Yusuf Nurkic is hurt. I think Kent Bazemore is going to play a bunch of minutes off the bench, but I could be wrong. And luckily, you're only spending a 13th round pick <laughs> to get him to see what happens in this. But obviously, they wanted him. They made the move, straight swap. They thought, we don't need quite the Evan Turner ball handily. We want the slasher, cutter, dunker to go along with our other guys. So I think Bays is going to have a pretty good role with this Portland team. Curious to see what the Millsap Jeremy Grant thing ends up looking like in Denver. And then what's Will Barton going to do? Is Gary Harris remotely healthy? This one's pretty interesting, actually. I think it's going to be a lot of timeshares in Denver, and that freaks me out. But maybe not. Maybe one of these guys, maybe a cream rises to the top. Maybe we do go back to the sort of two years ago Barton, Gary Harris thing, and then guys like Malik Beasley and Monty Morris, they get pushed a little bit outside. That should be a fun ball game. Uh, surprise to see Portland as a one-point favorite, but that basically means that Denver's a two-point neutral site favorite. I, I think the Blazers, are they're due for a tiny step back this year. Hassan Whiteside is fine, but he's just, you know, from an, from an offensive standpoint, he's not even close to Nurkic. And then you got all that other baggage that goes with him. Uh, what is Zach Collins going to be this year? I'm a little lower on him. 
than others in the fantasy space. So we'll see. If I am too cautious there, maybe I should be more aggressive. I just I didn't see the consistency last year, and when they brought in Whiteside, it just screamed timeshare again to me. But if Collins can get up to like 25-26 and push Whiteside to the lower side of the halfway point, then you start to get somewhere. Anybody with his fantasy game, Collins that is, that can clear the halfway mark in minutes played, more than 24, then you have to at least give them a look. I don't think it's going to be a whopper of a year, but there is certainly a path there to him being more successful, and the fact that he can space the floor is a big reason why. Blazers also have no power forwards officially on their roster. I think freaking Mario Hazonia is the only one. I don't expect him to play a ton, but maybe he does play some. From a betting standpoint, what you often want to look for here, at least in the first week, is teams that have consistency over teams that don't. The odd thing about tonight's 11-game slate is that a lot of the teams that have consistency are in this weird, we already proved ourselves in the regular season mode. So like Denver, they proved themselves already. Philadelphia, they've sort of proven themselves in the regular season in terms of uh, consistency of roster. Uh, the Spurs, but they have, they're they laying a colossal number. Utah is a team that has a whole bunch of consistency, aside from Mike Conley. And then the problem on top of that is that the teams that these guys are playing are either also relatively consistent rosters like Portland or teams that got blown up to a point where you really have no idea what to expect. Like Oklahoma City, they're catching nine points in Utah tonight. They have a brand new roster. Normally I would fade a team like that, but I also think they're going to be a pissed off roster. Like I'd rather fade the team that got a superstar and doesn't know how to work them into the lineup yet. Like maybe Brooklyn is a fade. They got Kyrie Irving. I don't know. Do they know how that's going to work? I don't know if that's going to work. But Minnesota, I have no idea what they're going to look like. If Rob Covington's healthy, I think they should be decent enough in this game. Minnesota is a team that I would consider looking at. Sacramento is a team I would consider looking at. They had a lot of roster consistency with their young core. Phoenix, they were, rel- I mean, Booker and Aiton are obviously back. Uh, and Ubre, who finished the season last year, but a new point guard, that changes things a bit. And then they just, you know, they haven't shown me that they can get over that hump yet. I think there's going to be a lot of points in that game. Go out of limb and say it's going to be relatively high scoring. Uh, Dallas is a team I would probably fade in most instances because everybody loves the Luka KP thing, but then Washington is so brutally bad that you almost can't bet on them, can you? Expectation that they can compete? This is a hard first big card to analyze. So I kind of like Minnesota. I kind of like Sacramento. And then there isn't a whole lot else that I'm super interested in because there's just too many question marks. If Detroit had Blake Griffin, I might look in their direction because Indiana's got a bunch of new pieces, but Detroit's missing a guy, probably their most important guy. I'm just saying. So yeah, you can believe that I have no problem with you guys leaving this alone. Betting is very hard the first week of the season. You want to look for some values built into the line. Uh, consistency being a big reason why. And, and tonight, it just the, the matchups don't really lend themselves to it. So, all right, we made that, uh, again, a little bit dry. There are parts, I mean, this to me is really important part of the season where we're, we're learning how to watch these games before they happen. What are we looking for such that maybe we could consider making some fantasy moves quickly 
this is a hard time of year. Uh, Doc talked about it, and I thought he was he his wording was great on yesterday's podcast. You sort of want to be patient until you're not, right? Like if something really important happens this first week, you have to be aware that it's really important. It didn't last night. You know, Josh Hart double-doubling in an overtime game is not a game-changing thing for your team. What if he is a top 100 guy? Fine, I mean, you know, that's not the thing that's going to float your team to the end of the season. We're looking for the guys that are on a waiver wire right now that could turn out to be a top 50 or top 70 kind of guy. Those guys weren't on the board yesterday. Even Mo Harkless, who had a great game, even if he keeps it up for three weeks, Paul George is coming back. Eventually. There is an opportunity for that guy to surface tonight. There is a team out there somewhere that all of the analysts, myself included, everybody at Ball and Roto World and Basketball Monster and you name it, all the different places, we've spent the whole summer looking at all these things. Someone's going to pop up that we all said, eh, this guy's probably not going to play that much. And then he's going to just push his way in an extra four or five minutes and boom, you got your top 75 guy. So be ready for that guy. That's why we're watching some of these games live. What if someone on Charlotte, everybody's talking about who on the, they almost called them the Bobcats. The Hornets is going to make that jump. We know Terry Rozier is going to do a lot of stuff and ruin your percentages. You know Cody Zeller's probably going to play enough to plot around at a top 115 clip at the center spot. Beyond that, we've sort of all said Miles Bridges has the highest probability of getting to that point, but Nick Batum is on waiver wires. We have no idea if he's going to play enough to matter P.J. Washington had a good preseason. Dwayne Bacon had a good preseason. Uh, Malik Monk is a shooter. I don't like his fantasy game that much, but what if he plays himself into a whole bunch of minutes? There are guys on this team, and if they're doing a whole bunch of stuff mid-game, I might abandon some of my low upside guys and just say, you know what, what the hell? One of these guys is going to have to do something, even if they hurt you in some categories. Maybe Cleveland turns out to be that. I don't think they will, but maybe. Miami, I think, might have a guy that's worth grabbing mid-ball game. Washington, mid-ball game. I mean, I'm serious with this. There are names out there, and I'm going to try to watch these things, and I'm going to try to get this info to you on Twitter as fast as I can tonight. But if I see something happen, and I'm like, I think this is a guy that's turning a corner and is going to play a bunch, and he's on your waiver wire, then I'm going to say, go get him. And I'm not going to tell you exactly who you can drop on your team because I don't know all of your teams. And if you ask me who should I drop, I'm probably not going to be able to answer all of you at the same time. But just take a guy on your team if there is this guy where you're like, this is probably a dude who has top 100 upside and is likely going to sit around that 115-120 range most of the season unless something pops. Or maybe it's a guy you're sitting on and expecting them to be better in February. Maybe that's the guy you cast off into the ocean. Because I've seen enough forum threads and Twitter threads to know that right now, you guys all have someone on your team that you're thinking, is this the guy I should punt? The answer's probably yeah. So let's watch these games closely. Let's watch these games closely. Sacramento is the other one I could throw onto the list. Washington. Miami. Maybe even Memphis. Maybe even Cleveland. Doubt it. Charlotte. Those are the ones you really got to keep an eye on. And maybe something happens in the other games. But we want to be ready. Let's be ready. I said today would be a little bit of a shorter show because my voice is dying and there were only two games to break down from yesterday. But damn it, we had things to talk about. 
Hey, wanted to tell you guys, we've got some pretty amazing team coverage developing at HoopBall right now. I mentioned if you guys want to get involved in that to hit me up, but check out the articles that are available already. The great Mike Pasador, Panda, Panda Alert, dropped a few already this week. And Aaron Holiday, team feature on the Indiana Pacers and a Pascal Siakam era begins in Toronto with a big bet on his unknown ceiling. Go to hoopdashball.com, scroll down to HoopBall team coverage and check out some of the articles that are available already along with the team podcasts. I think that's all we've got on the docket for today. Uh, do sign up for the HoopBall Brews Letter, the HoopBall Weekly Newsletter. Go to hoopdashballcom slash newsletter. Check that out. Again, follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris because this is when I start doing a bunch. I did my first tweet storm last night. It was a lot of fun. Uh, that'll be coming up today. We'll do a what to watch for on Twitter. We'll talk about these games, the homework games that I put out on today's podcast. This is when you want to be following me on social media because this is when fantasy stuff is happening fast and we're going to be first to it. Have a great big Wednesday, everybody. Back tomorrow. We'll break it all down on another episode of Fantasy NBA Today. So long. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.